Oh, hey, this is Josh Colline with you on Afropop Worldwide from PRI. And on today's program, we're here to talk about Cumbia. Cumbia is a music style that began in coastal Colombia and has since become the most widespread music in Latin America. It's played from the Texas borderlands, down through the Andes, all the way to the tip of Patagonia. Cumbia is everywhere, and today we trace its path as it weaves its way through history and popular culture. Coming up, we learn about the psychedelic cumbias of 1960s Peru. And Noe Fachin claims that he wrote all of his songs under the influence of ayahuasca. Then we delve into the shantytown cumbia that turned Argentina upside down in 2001. It's almost like Argentinians were hearing a gangster rap for the first time. Suddenly the lyrics were saying things that middle-class Argentina didn't want to hear. And we visit a Mexican sonidera party in New York's outer boroughs. <laughs> All that ahead on our special Hip Deep edition, the Cumbia Diaspora, from Colombia to the world. But first, some music. Straight from Monterrey, Mexico, this is Señor Celso Piña with Cumbia Poder. Hola 
That was Cumbia Poder from Mexican cumbia legend Salso Piña. I'm Georges Collinet with a special hip deep edition, the Cumbia Diaspora from Colombia to the world, on Afropop Worldwide. Major support for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts. To start us off, we're going to talk to this guy. Hello, I'm Jace Clayton. Jace, a.k.a. DJ Rupture, is a writer and DJ who specializes in global music. A few years ago, he became very interested in cumbia. And the more I started digging and learning about this music, the more fascinated I became because it localizes so interestingly everywhere it goes. You know, so it started in Colombia, but it was doing amazing things in Peru in the 70s. You know, it's doing fascinating things in Dallas, Texas in the starts of the 2000s. So the story of cumbia is a story of regional adaptations of cumbia, people taking their sound and then tweaking it to whatever it is that they like and sort of integrating it. And that is exactly what our program today is all about. How and why did this one genre splinter into so many forms and end up taking over a continent? To help us answer that question, we've enlisted an expert. My name is uh, Hector Fernandez Loeste, and I teach Latin American Cultural Studies at Georgia State University. Hector is the editor of an upcoming anthology titled All the Cumbias, and he's going to help us figure out how cumbia became this, from this, Originally, cumbia was one of many rhythms played in colonial Colombia by Afro-Colombians on the Caribbean coast. Okay, fast forward. Oops, too far. In the early 20th century, cumbia was played by accordion-led groups. Then, as American jazz begins to have an impact in Colombia, we get big band-style cumbias. In a way, it was a measure to have other audiences, that is, audiences from larger cities inland with a very different sensibility. For example, here's Chippy Chippy, a 50s-era cumbia by Los Melodicos. Miel. 
escucha como dice al caminar Nos canta el chipichipi para gozar Míralo mi china, sabrosa estaba Chipilón, 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 juega That was Los Melodicos from Venezuela, one of the first countries to catch the cumbia craze. The Colombian big bands of the time toured abroad, but real international impact wasn't made until cumbia's next stage. In 1954, legendary cumbia record label Discos Fuentes moved from the coast to Medellín in the interior, the new capital of the music industry. As cumbia moved away from the coast, its rhythm became simplified. In the 60s, new smaller combos developed a style that was sometimes called chuku chuku. Here's why. Chuku chuku, that's the way it sounds. Chuku 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 chuku. That would be it. It was pretty much the sound created by an instrument called the guacharaca, which is a long tube that basically you scratch. The, the end result was a very simple rhythm. One so-called chuku-chuku band was Los Graduados. This is their classic aguardientaski, sung in russified Spanish. That was Los Graduados playing the simplified cumbia called Chucu Chucu. Hector Fernandez Loeste. This cumbia is easily packaged and sold abroad. It's a very simple package that almost anyone 
without formal schooling can embrace and immediately start playing. And that's a huge appeal. In the late 60s, cumbia starts to really travel. Bands like Los Graduados and La Sonora Dinamita became very popular around Latin America. Hector says cumbia was allowed to penetrate because it was never strongly identified with Colombian nationalism and wasn't seen as threatening. Its origin was irrelevant. What was relevant was that it conveyed this idea of the tropics and that that idea of the tropics could be consumed and could be adapted to a local context. The first place it takes off is Mexico. By the 70s, cumbia has invaded the repertoires of big pop singers like Rigo Tova. By the way, we have a whole program all about Musica Tropical in Colombia that you can stream on our website if you want to find out more about the Colombian part of the story. That's afropop.org slash We'll get to Mexico later. Right now we are heading south to Peru. I was traveling in Peru, really traveling, also looking for music. That's what I do when I travel a lot. This is Olivier Conan, a Frenchman who lives in Brooklyn and runs an indie record label called Barbes Records. We asked Olivier how he fell in love with the Peruvian cumbia sound known as chicha. So, Olivier's in Peru. I was buying bootleg records uh, on the street and talking to this woman who said, oh, you probably would like that. It's, uh, you know, they're really, really old cumbias. And she started playing me uh, Los Mirros and uh, Juan Ecuesu Combo, uh, the classic Amazonian uh, cumbia. And I was like, yeah, I do like it. And I bought about as many records as I could after that. And uh, I was completely amazed by it. Olivier went on to produce a series of chicha compilations and got deep into the music's history. As the story goes, cumbia became big in Peru in 1967, around the time it was spreading all around Latin America. At the same time, rock and roll was exploding around the world, and kids in Lima were listening to local garage bands like Los Psychos. Before long, the sounds collide, and cumbia takes on the instrumentation of a rock band. They started using electric guitars, uh, and then it just replaced all the melodic lines that were played on the accordion by uh, electric guitar. That alone gave it a very distinctive sound. Let's hear a track from Los Destellos, the first major Peruvian cumbia band. Here's Elsa. Elsa, Elsa, yo te juro que te quiero. Decir... 
That was Elsa, Peruvian cumbia from Los Destellos. Rock and roll, cumbia, Brazilian and Cuban music. It was all mashed up in the new sound. Los Destellos were in Lima, but there was also a big cumbia movement happening in the oil boom cities of the Peruvian Amazon. So a few Amazonian bands start playing almost around the same time as Los Destellos in, in Lima. The most famous and the most influential of all those bands is Juaneco y Sucombo from uh, the city of Pucallpa. On the covers of their old LPs, Juaneco y Sucombo are holding shiny electric guitars and are decked out in the garb of the Shipibo, the indigenous Amazonians of the region. Noe Fachin, the guitar player from Juaneco, was, his nickname was El Brujo, the, uh, the witch doctor. He was very interested in the culture and he was especially interested in ayahuasca. That's the hallucinogenic vine found in the Amazon and used for religious rituals by the Shipibo. And Noe Fachin claims that he wrote all of his songs under the influence of ayahuasca. He wrote good songs too, so I'm tempted. <laughs> of course. Here's Juaneco y Sucombo, psychedelic cumbia from the Peruvian Amazon. El Yanto de Ayay Mama. Up until about 1974, cumbia was music for all parts of society, but that quickly changed. Lima urbanized very quickly as poor migrants from the highlands streamed in, many escaping political violence in the interior. The new wave of cumbia had strong Andean musical influences. It was geared toward the new migrants and hated by the elites. That's when it lo loses its cultural value in a way because nobody talks about it. You know, it's not in the newspapers, it's not on TV, even if, if people like Chacalón can sell a million records, they're invisible to the rest of Peru. So that's really when it lost, when it became big, uh, which is kind of a, a paradox. This is also when Peruvian cumbia becomes known as chicha, named after a traditional alcoholic drink from the Andes. It wasn't meant as a compliment. In Peru, where you say something is chicha, it means it's crass, it's low class, thieves are chicha, uh, a bad president is chicha, uh, the yellow press is la, la prensa chicha. The first chicha megastar was a singer named Chacalón. We called up someone who knew Chacalón very, very well. Jose Carballo was Chacalón's guitarist and arranger. Peruvian cumbia 
gente de mal vivir, prostitución, drogaditos. José says the Peruvian press characterized Chicha as music for criminals. Esa gente era gente trabajadora que sufría. In reality, says, the migrants were hard-working people with a hard life, who woke up at four in the morning every day to labor for little money. Chacalon and the band wrote songs that spoke to that sense of suffering. Here's Olivier Conan. They talk about getting up early and looking for work or working hard or... Uh, uh, being sad and drinking, there's a sense of great sadness and pride and tragedy that all is meshed up in, in, in one feeling that's kind of the pride of being a, a Provinciano. The life of the Provinciano, the Andean migrant, is celebrated in one of Chacalón's most famous songs. Here is A Trabajar, Going to Work. That was A Trabajar from Chacalón. <laughs> Olivier Conan's compilations are called The Roots of Chicha and they are available on Barbes Records. Jose Campayo is working on a book about Chicha history, so stay tuned. More info and great Chicha videos can be found on our website. That's afropop.org. Coming up on our show, we see what happens to Cumbia when financial crisis hits Argentina, plus a trip to a Mexican Cumbia party in New York. I'm Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. Say 
Okay, next stop on our Cumbia Road trip, Argentina. When you think of Argentina, tropical dance music is probably not the first thing that comes to mind. But cumbia has a long history in Argentina. First, there was Los Suabanco, a band made up of Colombian and Costa Rican students attending Argentinian universities. They had a big hit in 1967 with Villa Cariño. Es un hermoso bosque alojamiento, donde el romance marcha sobre ruedas, donde basta la luz de reglamento para quedarse allá hasta que uno quiera. Villa cariño, bosque alojamiento, bastan cuatro ruedas y luz de reglamento. Villa cariño, bosque alojamiento, bastan cuatro ruedas y luz de reglamento. Es una extraña villa de emergencia, coronada de coches cual ninguna. Popular y discreta residencia, que como velador tiene la luna. Villa Cariño, bosque, alojamiento, bastan cuatro ruedas y luz de reglamento. Villa Cariño, bosque, alojamiento, bastan cuatro ruedas y luz de reglamento. Bastan cuatro ruedas y luz de reglamento Villa Cariño, bosque, alojamiento Bastan cuatro ruedas y luz de reglamento Es una sucursal motorizada Del antiguo paraíso terrenal Donde hay siempre una eva estacionada Hablando de manzanas con Adán Villa Cariño, from 1967 Cumbia developed a strong following in Argentina over the decades Meanwhile, the Eurocentric middle classes continued to listen to rock and didn't pay cumbia much attention. And then, the economy exploded. Economic crisis in Argentina turned the nation upside down. In December of 2001, citizens took to the streets. They protested, ransacked supermarkets, and clashed with police. That January, the peso collapsed, and Argentinians found that their lifelong savings disappeared almost overnight. It's no coincidence that, at the exact same time, a new music style arrived that would challenge Argentinians' concept of their culture and society. It was called Cumbia Villera. Aunque no nos quieran, somos delincuentes. Vamos de caño con antecedentes. Robamos blindados, locutorios y mercados. No nos cabe una, estamos refugados. Vendemos sustancias 
sea y auto nos choreamos Hacemos de primeras salideras en los bancos Somos estafadores, piratas del asfalto Todos nos conocen por los reyes del afano That was from Los Pibes Choros, or Thieving Kids. Villera is cumbia from the Villas, the shanty towns that fan out from prosperous Buenos Aires center. The peak of Villera is after the economic debacle after the fall of the Argentine economy. Ethnomusicologist Hector Fernández Lueste. You have, all of a sudden, you have a sizable portion of the Argentine population no longer identifying itself as, as middle class. All of a sudden, they view themselves as poor. And here comes a, a musical genre that addresses that new sensibility, that touches topics, themes, subjects, having to do with that new reality. Cumbia Villera was invented almost single-handedly by a guy named Pablo Lescano. You know, he was super, super open. I can't imagine a nicer, multi-millionaire, incredibly famous musician. That's Jace Clayton, a.k.a. DJ Rapture. In 2008, Jace met Pablo Lescano in Buenos Aires on assignment for Fader magazine. I wanted to meet him because he, he really pioneered a genre. And what Pablo Lescano did was bring in, you know, bring in real talk about life in the Villa, you know, life in the, the ghetto, as it were, you know, bring in talk about drugs and about sex and about violence and essentially all these social themes, the sort of darker side of social reality that was becoming more and more relevant for the larger and larger sections of the Argentinian population as the economy tanked. Um, he put that in Cumbia. And in addition to the lyrical innovations, he developed a really amazing keyboard playing style. He's got a keyboard. It's a guitar, the kind you wear like a guitar, painted over with the image of an AK-47. It's a really, um, it's almost like a, it's like a cheap, acidic, and very potent sound, very, very treble. And so it's one of these rare moments where a musical innovator can both push the lyrical content and make a new progressive sound with the music and then have it hit a nerve, an incredible nerve. You know, it just kind of took off overnight. Lescano's band is called Damas Gratis. This is their Los Dueños del Pabellón.
otra vez. That's Pablo Lescano with Tamas Gratis. After Lescano, hundreds of Cumbia Villera bands popped up. Carlos Tevez, ahí está Tevez, intentó meter esa pelota, sigue Tevez, le ha pegado, golazo, golazo. Even soccer star Carlos Tevez started a Villera band, and Cumbia began to fill the weekend TV reviews. Vamos, a dar la palmito bien arriba, haciendo palmas, 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 porque en el próximo bloque aquí en Pasión de Sábado. Cierra un grande, la vuelta más que esperada en Pasión. Pablo Lescano y Damas. The Villeros referred to themselves proudly as Los Negros or the Blacks term long used by elites in Argentina as an insult towards the nation's poor. They sang of drinking cheap wine, abusing drugs and committing robberies, taking stereotypes that had been hurled at them for decades and flipping them around into badges of honor. Mainstream Argentinian society was enraged. Here's Jace. It's almost like Argentinians were hearing a gangster rap for the first time because it was explicit lyrics. You know, it was a form that was already looked down upon, and then suddenly the lyrics were, were saying things that middle-class Argentina didn't want to hear. In many cases, for the first time ever, Argentines have to consume, view, deal with something that comes from a portion of their reality that they don't want to deal with. They don't even want to admit that's another Argentina, and it's an Argentina that matters. So, to that extent, Cumbia Villera is a very important cultural product. While most middle-class Argentinians chafe at even the mention of cumbia, some bands from the other side of town have been inspired by the Villera movement to experiment with the sounds. One such group is called Fantasma. Here they are with Mueve lo que sube. Mueve lo mamita, 
from Buenos Aires. That was Fantasma. Okay, it's time to visit one last country. Mexico has long been a cultural and economic powerhouse in Latin America and was a magnet for Colombian bands as early as the 50s. In Colombia, Mexican culture was very important. So the idea of exporting Colombian music to Mexico was very appealing. Today, the cumbia rhythm has penetrated every variety of regional Mexican music. Here's a taste of cumbia norteño style. From Los Tigres del Norte, this is Cumbia del Amor. Una luna y un sol te bajaría Lo que tú me pidieras te daría Porque tú eres mi amor y mi alegría De tus lágrimas perlas yo te haría Y tu boca en clavel convertiría De tu risa preciosa melodía Porque tú eres mi amor y mi alegría del Amor from Los Tigres del Norte. Cumbia isn't just in Norteño music. Cumbia is in banda music. It's played by mariachis. And it's a big part of Mexican pop, like the music of Selena the queen of Tejano music who died tragically in 1995. The city of Monterrey specializes in Colombian-style cumbia and even have a subculture of young people who call themselves Colombias. Los cien años de Macondo suenan, suenan en el aire. But one of the most interesting forms of all is called cumbia sonidera, or sound system cumbia, which evolved out of open-air cumbia street parties. Ethnomusicologist Kathy Ragland teaches about the music at the University of Texas. She told us how she accidentally stumbled into the sonidera world in the outer boroughs of New York City, back when she was working on her PhD. I had to do a, a fieldwork project, and I was looking for something to do. And I was walking around in my neighborhood of Astoria, Queens, and I noticed uh, these flyers. Flyers advertising Mexican cumbia parties. And I said, well, 
this is interesting. What is this about? And so she showed up at the party. And it was just a small restaurant. The tables were cleared out and replaced with giant speaker cabinets. Streamers everywhere and balloons and all of this kind of stuff. Kathy was surprised to see that instead of a band, there were DJs playing CDs and speaking into a microphone. And then what really kind of struck me was that everybody was sort of handing off these notes to the DJ and uh, he was reading them over the music. I mean, you could hear the music, you could hear the rhythm and people were dancing to it, but yet it was being talked over completely and I was just fascinated by this. He's reading these things and then tossing them onto the floor, so I kind of start picking them up off the floor. <laughs> and people thought I was a little strange, but... <laughs> On the notes were salutations, little messages or poems dedicated to family and friends in Mexico or elsewhere in the U.S., and Kathy realized that by reading the messages out loud, the DJ was somehow closing the long distance that separated the authors from their loved ones back home. The Sonidero was really about transporting you to that place. And in fact, I noticed that the DJs tended to use a lot of this sort of spaceship kind of um, sounds that, you know, and, and talking about transporting you from one place to the other. And sometimes they would talk about, well, we've just landed and we're in Mexico. I was really taken by that imagery and that ability to travel. It's particularly when I started to talk to some of these guys and they talked about how they were never able to travel back home because they were undocumented. Francisco Flores, a.k.a. Sonido Candela, is one of New York City's biggest sonideros. Tenemos también usamos un delay para darle ambiente. Un delay, a veces lo conocemos como un aparato de eco. He's showing us his portable cabinet of audio equipment, full of voice-altering reverbs and delays. He even has a CD printer on board to sell copies of his set after the show, salutations and all. Candela says that these recordings often find their way back to Mexico. Es un medio de mensaje, de decir... He says it's a way of sending a message, of saying, I'm okay, I'm having fun, I'm here, and I'm sending you a greeting. Here's Kathy Raglan. The music is really loud, and I think that you can be loud, you can have a, you know, a loud voice, whereas that's not happening pretty much in their daily lives. I mean, still in New York City... The Mexican immigrant population, the numbers are around 80% that are still undocumented. That's a large percentage of people who are living under the radar and unable to really live their lives and express themselves as freely as you or I do. And I think that these dances offer that opportunity.
Betsy Rakumbia from north of the border. From Texas, this is the Cumbia Kings. was the Cumbia Kings. All right, time to give thanks. Major funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art, and PRI, Public Radio International affiliate stations around the U.S. And please, remember to support your radio station. Additional support for Afropop Worldwide comes from Carnegie Hall, presenting South African guitarist Derek Gripper with Trio Dakali from Mali on November 12th. Ticket information at carnegiehall.org slash events. Today we heard cumbia stories from Peru, Argentina, and Mexico. Just the tip of the cumbia iceberg, so to speak. Visit our website, afropop.org, to find out about cumbia from all the countries we didn't have time to get to today. Each country's story is very different, but they all have a common thread. Here's Hector Fernandez Loeste. I would have to say that the story of cumbia is the story of sectors of society. 
that have been forsaken by the national order, finding an alternative means of representation. Across national boundaries, working class people from around Latin America have gravitated to cumbia. Despite discouragement and lack of support, the music has thrived. In other words, all these forsaken groups, what they're trying to celebrate is there's another way of being national and it doesn't have to go through the government. And this is my way. Just as it happened in the Colombian case, because after all, Cumbia came from a region that was despised by the central government, by the elite of the country, and ironically took over the whole country. So it happens in other latitudes and corners of Latin America. And there you have it. Before we go, let's hear one more song. This one is from Sabo and Cassidy, a duo that mixes classic cumbia with elements of hip-hop and electronic music. They are part of the Nueva Cumbia movement that has been making noise recently. To find out more, we have a program all about new cumbia archived on our website. This is La Curura.
from Sabo and Cassidy. We just heard La Curura. Thanks to Hector Fernandez-Loeste, Kathy Raglan, Pablo Villa, Jace Clayton, Gecko Jones, Olivier Conan, Jose Carvalho, Francisco Flores, Jessica Baldarema, and Amanda Veroff for their help with this program. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Marlon Bishop, a.k.a. Marlonius Funk. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at AfropopWW. Our chief audio engineer and co-producer is Michael Jones. Additional engineering by Mike Kaplan and Alistair Sim. Banning Air and C.C. Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our producer for new media is Ataneo Fiaggia. And I'm Georges Collinet.